Good afternoon. You can feel free to take your seats. It's a pleasure to be with you again this afternoon. Uh, as Isaac said, uh, my name is Lenny Feinde, and I come from northern Minnesota. Uh, and if my accent is a little bit heavy for you, I apologize. You can just ask me afterwards what I said, and we'll see if I remember. No, just kidding. Uh, no, as Isaac said, uh, we, we met each other several years ago uh, when uh, we uh, did a program in Washington, D.C., and uh, that was an amazing time. And I remember at that time, uh, there were a couple other Texans that were out there in this program, and I'm this good boy from Minnesota. And I said, I told Isaac, I said, I'm never going to come visit you in Texas. I said, you're going to have to come visit me in Minnesota because, I don't know, I just have this thing about prideful people who boast about, you know, where they're from. Everything's bigger in Texas. Well, come to Minnesota. Let me show you a good time. So anyway, it was several years went by, and as life happens, we, we had kind of fallen out of connection, and uh, I told Isaac, I said, okay, I'll come down to Texas to visit you. <laughs> so that was about three years ago, I think, and uh, it's just been uh, really good. I came down here, the first time I came down here um, was, I think, in like March or April. The Expand Conference um, hadn't happened yet, but uh, I just came in, and, and there was praise and worship that was uh, a practice that was happening, and just such an inviting atmosphere in this place. And I thought, man, this is an amazing place, uh, this church, Kingsway Church. And there, there's just a, a, an anointing on this place. Uh, the presence of God dwells in this place. And you're very, very blessed to have that. I just want to let you know that as someone who comes in from the outside. And then... Two years ago, um, I was able to come down for the Expand Conference, actually, and I met several of you at that time, and uh, what a blessing that was, you know, to be here and to experience that conference, and I will tell you, God did amazing things in my life uh, just from uh, being a, a participant in that conference a couple of years ago, and it was just awesome, and I'm just so thankful that I was able to have that experience, and that's one of those high watermarks on my walk and my journey that I've had with the Lord that I still hold very dear uh, as I look back on the journey that God has had me on. And uh, John Delgado was uh, one of the main speakers uh, at that conference that I'm mean, just an amazing man of God who has an awesome sense of humor. And yeah, so I'm just very thankful for that, for the experience that I had there. And then um, Isaac asking me to come and speak this year. Um, that was just a, a, a tremendous blessing. So I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I just want to share maybe just a little bit with you about my history uh, so you know and understand where I'm coming from. Uh, Isaac asked me earlier today, he said, what's the, what's the topic or what's the, uh, the title, excuse me, the title of your message? And I said, well, I don't really have a title for my message. And I never have a title for any of my messages. I don't know why I don't do that, but just because a lot of times I feel like, well, this is what I'm going to talk on, but then I wind up going in a totally different direction. So we'll see what happens today, okay? Just, just bear with me. Let's go on this journey together. So uh, I was born and raised on the Leech Lake Indian Reservation in north central Minnesota. Uh, my father was a, a full-blooded Leech Lake tribal member. Uh, that's the Ojibwe or Chippewa tribe, if that's uh, more familiar with. And uh, he was a pastor and a missionary to his own people for over 30 years. And he pastored a church in Cass Lake, in the town we grew up in. And it was a, uh, a Pentecostal church. Um, so that was the uh, atmosphere that I grew up in. 
I very well remember uh, my salvation experience. And as I was uh, praying, actually just sitting over here, I just felt like that was something that I should share. And I'm not exactly sure why, but it's just still something that, um, for me, again, it's one of those high watermarks, and it's something that I remember very, very well. Uh, I was about five years old, and I was uh, sitting and visiting with my older brother and sister in the kitchen of our home, and um, they were talking to me about, you know, having Jesus come into your heart and, and being saved, and I told them, well, yeah, that's something that I'd like to do, and so let's look at, you know, I'll do that on Sunday after church. And they said, no, you can do it right now. Um, and I said, okay, and they said, yeah, go talk to dad, he's in his office. So I went to go see my dad, and um, I, I said, hey, dad, I'd like to have Jesus in my heart. And he said, okay, so come over here, and uh, we prayed uh, the sinner's prayer, and um, you know, he asked me if I had anything to confess, and I confessed some things, and we, we just uh, visited and prayed for a little bit, and at the end, I could just feel this um, warmth coming down me from the top of my head down to the bottom of my toes, and I had these tears coming out of my eyes, and I said, Dad, what is that? And he said, that's the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in you. And for some reason, like I said, that's just something that I remember. I, like, like it's, I remember it like it happened yesterday. And there's been a lot of things that have happened since then, and the, the road hasn't been a, a straight road by any means, uh, but that's still something that I cling to, that I hold on to very, very close to my heart because I know that that's something that, that's when God did something in my heart. That's when he transformed my heart, and that's when uh, I fully became his son. That's when I fully entered into the kingdom of God was at that time. And at that time, and, and since I accepted him, and since he uh, forgave me of my sins, at that time, there's nothing that's going to take me away from him. And I think that that's something that we need to understand and realize, because in the church today, there's a lot of Jesus plus. There's a lot of, okay, you're, you, Jesus has saved you, but now let's look at, <clears throat> now you have to do this, or now you have to do this, and you have to comply with this, or you have to follow this. And it becomes about rules and regulations rather than about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what he is so much more interested in, is just that relationship. He wants a relationship with us. And in fact, everything that Jesus did, everything that he did and accomplished on the cross, the entire ministry of the Holy Spirit that's active in us today, all of that is to get us to relationship with God. That's what it's all about. It's not about achieving anything. It's not about accomplishing anything. It's not about getting into a, a secret place or a higher place or anything like that. It's simply about having relationship. A, a father having relationship with his children. That's what it's all about. And if we can boil it down to that more than anything, that's the most important thing. And everything else, once we have that accomplished, everything else flows from that. Everything flows from that. And to me, that's the most important thing. Uh, and, and, and I just feel like we, we miss out a lot because we, yes, we say relationship and it's almost cliche today. But what does relationship mean? What does that actually look like? How do we walk that out on a regular basis? And so as leaders in the kingdom of God, and even as uh, just, uh, here's the thing that I want to say too, as leaders in the kingdom of God, this is the leadership conference. If you are a child of God, you are a leader. If you are a, a member of the church, you are a leader. 
If you are part of the body of Christ, you are a leader. God has called you to that. You have a ministry, you have a purpose, you have a destiny, and you have a place. And I feel like we're entering into the season, and I'll talk, to, talk about this a little bit later, where it's like an all-hands-on-deck season. You know, we, everybody, that w we may have been in a time where it's been okay for people to be sitting back, but it's not going to be okay for anybody to be sitting back uh, in the season that we're coming up to because God is doing amazing things. God is doing amazing things to expand his church, to build his kingdom, and he's going to need every single person, every single one of his children with, with, on board and doing what he has created and called you to do. And I can tell you that it's not about works. It's not about achieving something. It's not about, uh, as, as we've already heard today, it's not about uh, serving in a place just for the purpose of serving, but it's about getting joy and fulfillment out of the things you're doing. And in that process, it's about God expanding his kingdom through you. And that's what he wants to do above all. But he does that through relationship. He does that through relationship with him. And so how do we talk about relationship in a way where it's not just a cliche? Like what does relationship with the Father look like? And I think one of the important things for us to do is we have to understand who the Father is. We need to know who he is first and foremost. I think in the church today, we have a very good understanding of who Jesus is. Well, Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the incarnate word of God. He came to dwell among humanity and he died on the cross for us and he rose from the dead. We have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit to a certain extent. We understand that the Holy Spirit is alive and active today, that he is the comforter that Jesus has left us as he went back to the Father. And through the Holy Spirit, we're able to uh, understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We're able to understand uh, the heart of the Father through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, we also have a, a knowledge and, and power with uh, what God is doing. And so we have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit. But the Father, I feel like, at least in my experience, there's not a lot of teaching on the Father. There's not a lot. We have this idea, this concept. It's almost like he's this mystical being that's shrouded. It's almost as if the veil is still there in some ways. And I can tell you that, and this is in my experience, that that breaks his heart. Because, again, he wants relationship with us. And now I'm not downplaying Jesus at all, and I'm not downplaying the Holy Spirit at all. I'm just saying I think there's a misunderstanding on who the Father is. And you know, there's so much in Scripture that talks about the Father. You know, Jesus, in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And we use that scripture a lot as an evangelistic tool, as we're ministering to lost people who haven't accepted Christ yet. But I think it's interesting when you look at the context of that conversation, Jesus is having an intimate conversation with his disciples. This is the same conversation uh, as Jesus when he washed their feet. It's, it, it's just an outflow of that conversation when he made the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And just like Jesus 
and the Holy Spirit. I feel like we have a good understanding of the truth and the life in those three things that Jesus lists. lists. We know the truth. We know life. But wait, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I am the way to the Father. I'm the pathway to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we understand that. But again, who is the Father? What is the Father? And why is there this mystery that kind of surrounds him? And I think one of the reasons, probably the biggest reason, why there's this kind of mystery that surrounds him is there's this tension because we see on one hand that God is love. 1 John chapter 4 says, God is love. He's, merc- he's merciful, he's righteous, he, he, his, his, uh, he, he's patient, long-suffering towards us. But yet we also know in Scripture that God is the judge. So we have this tension here, right? Because how can God be love, yet how can he judge us? And I want to tell you, (laughs) as someone who has sat with a robe high in the bench and passed judgment on people, that you can judge and love. That you can have compassion upon people. And I want to tell you today that God the Father is a compassionate judge. He is not one to fear. He is one who has compassion. And he is one who loves you. And he is one who has created a way so that you can get around the judgment of the just and righteous law. And again, I can tell you as an attorney sitting on the other side of the bench, who is your advocate? Revelations chapter 12 tell us who our accuser is, that we have an accuser who is accusing us before the throne of God day and night. But we also have an advocate, an intermediator, who stands before the the, uh, bench in heaven and tells the Father, no, this one is mine, this one is ours. This one has accepted the free gift of salvation. And therefore, this person legally speaking, has a stay of adjudication, and they are free from the curse of the law. And in that, we do not have to fear the judgment of God. There's nothing to fear. First John also talks about perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And again, I think that's part of what's surrounding this mystery of the Father, is we, we feel like he's the one who's going to dole out punishment. But that's taken care of there in First John when it says, hey, you know what? Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. Now listen, God dis- disciplines. Yes, a, a good father will discipline. A good father will convict. But you don't need to be afraid of that discipline, because it's not going to be punishment that draws you away from him, it's going to be punishment that draws you into him. And, or I'm sorry, discipline that draws you into him, because he's not about turning people away, he's not about sending people out, he's about bringing people into him. And so what I feel like God is doing in this time is he's drawing us to him with this message of intimacy, and that's what relationship with the Father looks like. 
is it looks like intimacy. I'm in this time in my own life right now where as I'm studying the Gospels and I see Jesus' ministry and I see the amazing things that he accomplished in his three years as he was out uh, being an example for us and, and setting the example for what it is for all ministers. And the thing in everything that he's done, you look at the miracles, you look at the words he spoke, you look at the way he interacted with people, in all of that, what I come back to is when he said, I do nothing except that my father tell me. That's intimacy, to do nothing except for what your father tells you to do. And how do we get to that place of intimacy? Pastor just talked about it through prayer, through taking the time to pray. And it's sacrificial time to pray, but that's how you develop the relationship, that intimacy with the Father. And we have full access to him. As Jesus said, I am the way to the Father. Jesus created that way for full access to him. The book of Hebrews talks about that we, um, we may boldly approach the Father's throne. Boldly we can go to him. That access is available to us. And we, and we uh, achieve that through prayer. We achieve that through worship. We achieve that through praising him and taking the time to do that corporately and also within individually within our prayer closets. Doing that in a way where uh, we're able to develop the relationship with God and we're able to hear his voice. What did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice. And if you're not hearing his voice, then that means you haven't developed that relationship with him, that intimacy with him yet. But it's there to do it. And it just takes the time and the practice to be praying and to understand who he is and that he is not someone who is seeking your punishment. He's not someone who's seeking to see you fall or, can, or, or, to be, or to fail or to be condemned. He is seeking fully for you to walk with him. And it's not hard. I, I, I have this feeling that sometimes we make it so difficult that, uh, you know, well, in order to do this right, you know, you need to be praying for, for 23 hours a day, you know. And, and that's not the case. It's sacrificial and it's different for each and every person. But it's about your level of hunger, too. Because the Holy Spirit is going to meet you right where you're at. And you're going to be able to develop that intimacy with the Father. And I just feel like that's probably the most important thing at this point is that we have that full access to him and that we are his beloved children. You know, one of the things that I think about is when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice came from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And as you look at Jesus and his ministry, when he was baptized, he hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't gone before the Sanhedrin. He hadn't healed. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't done one miracle as far as the gospel, re recording the gospel. He hadn't done one miracle. He hadn't done one, spoken one sermon. And yet there's the father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Well before he actually did anything. And that can tell you that the Father's love is not about what you do. The Father's love is about who you are. Because you're his child. And because you're his child, 
he's well pleased in you. And when we understand that, when we accept that, we can accept who he is for us, that he is everything we need, and that apart from him, we can do nothing, just as Jesus said. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And as we draw into this place of intimacy, as we draw into this place of closeness with him, he begins to reveal more and more to us of who he is and how much he loves us. And I want to tell you that that is an amazing thing because he is so great and so powerful. I want to talk just for a little bit, bringing this back to the point or the theme, I guess, of the conference of feed my sheep. This, this feed my sheep, you know, I, I missed last night. I'm sorry because of the roads and, and I, I was a little bit late this morning, but the feed my sheep, of course, comes from Jesus restoring Peter in John chapter 21. And as I talked to Isaac about what I could share today, uh, I, I really felt like that the whole restoration aspect was what was important to me uh, because I think that there are some things that God is doing in this time to draw us into him and to restore us in the same way that Peter was restored. And I want to talk just a little bit about John chapter 21 here. It's one of my life chapters, if you will, that I have studied very extensively. Um, in a lot of ways, <laughs> my walk has not been very different from Peter's uh, up to this point where uh, the restoration is needed. And I want to talk just a little bit about this. And if we can look at John chapter 21, the beginning of the chapter. And you, you, you can look along. I'm not going to read any of it. But, but yeah, feel free to just uh, uh, look. And we can see at the very beginning of the chapter that Peter and several disciples are waiting in Galilee. And Jesus had told his disciples to wait for him in Galilee. And so I can imagine Peter and these guys kind of, <clears throat> kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs after the crucifixion. And they're wondering, you know, what should we do? And it says that Peter says, decided to go fishing. It's, I can only imagine what was going through Peter's mind at this time. Peter was one of the great zealots in the disciples of Jesus. He was one of these people who was over the top in his proclamations for what he would do for Christ. When Jesus was baptized, or I'm sorry, when he was washing the feet of his disciples, Peter said, no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, yes, I'm going to. And then Peter says, okay, wash all of me then, not just my feet, you know. When Jesus was about to be arrested in the garden, Peter pulls out his sword and he says, I'll die with you. And Jesus, of course, says, no, no, that's not the way we're going to go. But how far it must have been for Peter to make the proclamation to say, I will die with you, Jesus, to turning around and as he's warming himself over a charcoal fire outside the high priest's house, that he then denies Jesus three times. This zealot, this guy who is a bunch, he has a bunch of words that amount to nothing in the end. And here he's, 
he's sitting here now with these other disciples. I can only imagine the failure that was going through his mind, how much he, how far he felt from the Father and from Jesus, spending three years walking in such close relationship with the Son of God. And think about this. Think about when, Je- when Peter was called. And I think it's Luke chapter 5 that specifically mentions this calling of Peter where he's fishing. And Jesus has him take him out so he can give a sermon. And then he tells Peter, lower your nets. And Peter says, oh, I just had a night where I was toiling away and didn't, there was, it was unproductive. And what happens is, he, he says, but if you tell me to, I'll do it. He lowers the net, and then he brings up so much fish that the net is breaking. And then that's when Jesus says, calls him out of being a fisherman, and says, I will make you a fisher of men. And now here's Peter, now, after the denial, broken, bruised, a failure, what does he do? He goes back to what he knew before. He goes back to his old life. Let's go fishing. So they spend a night out on the lake, out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're toiling, working, sweating, breaking their backs, and all for naught. There's no fish to be caught. And then who shows up? Jesus. Jesus shows up and he says, do you have any fish? No, we don't. Well, throw your net out onto the left side of the boat. And they do so. And they bring in a bunch of fish again. Now, just a little aside here from Luke chapter 5 to this John 21. Luke chapter 5, the net broke. Fish got out from the net. They had to call others to help them. John 21, the net didn't break. What I see in that is I see a a pre-death Jesus, an old covenant Jesus, where the net broke and fish got out. And in John 21, we have a resurrected Jesus standing on the shore. And the net doesn't break. The new covenant holds. The fish are all there. Not one is lost in this perfectly consummated covenant. I think that's a beautiful message for what Jesus has accomplished and what he's doing. And that goes back to my own salvation experience. Not one will be lost. And that net will hold. That net will not break. But back to where we are here with Peter. (laughs) Finally, John says, oh, that's Jesus on shore. And Peter jumps out of the boat. Here comes the zealot again. He jumps out of the boat and he races to shore. And there's Jesus standing there. One of the things that I see Jesus, he's got a charcoal fire. And he's got two fish on the fire. And I wonder, where did those fish come from? 
I mean, he just directed his, the disciples to cast the net, and there was all this fish that came, and that was a miracle there. And yet Jesus is already on shore. He's already got provision. And the thing that I realize out of that is Jesus doesn't need to take from your miracle in order to do another miracle. He is the sovereign God. And another amazing thing is when you look at the Greek word for charcoal fire, there's two places in the entire Bible, the entire Bible, that it's used. And it's here in John chapter 21 and also back a couple of chapters when Peter denies Jesus. Peter denied Jesus over a charcoal fire outside the high priest's courtyard. And here's Jesus as he's preparing to restore Peter. He brings him to that same place, that same type of warming fire right there. Isn't that just like Jesus? I'm bringing you back to this place, but you're going to get it right this time. And I'm going to restore you. And the amazing thing as we look at Peter's restoration, it was Jesus who accomplished it. <laughs> Peter, all he had to do was say yes. Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. All Peter had to do was say yes. Again, that's just words. But that's all he had to do because Jesus accomplished the restoration for Peter because of what he had done on the cross. And this message, I think, is so important for us to realize because Jesus does it all. All we need to do is say yes. All we need to do is have willing hearts. All we need to do is say, yes, Lord, use me. I think when we look at the example of Peter, we can see a reflection on ourselves. And I think that that's the amazing thing about God using broken and fallen and hurt people at the foundation of the church for us to examine how we can walk and how we can interact and how we can grow and how we can be restored and how we can be healed and how we can help in that ministry for other people. Jesus chose to build his body. God chose to build the body of Christ out of broken, hurt, fallen people. That was his choice. And you know what? It's messy at times. It's hard. It's not the most efficient thing. But you know what it requires us to do if we're going to do it right? Is it requires relationship. It requires commitment. It requires us to say, I'm not going to go anywhere. I don't care how many times you fall. I don't care how many times you stumble. I don't care how many times you mess up. I'm not going anywhere. That's the community that Jesus has called us to. And that's how we grow. And that's how we, that's how we be welcoming. Because we're not better than any other sinner. 
All we are is hungry, starving people who have found bread. And we can show other hungry, starving people how to receive the same bread that we've received. And that's what it's all about. Yes, amen. And so we're, we're in this time now where we have this restoration, where we have intimacy with the Father. And I really feel that the church in this time, like, God is so prepared to move. He is so prepared to do amazing things in Texas, in Minnesota, throughout America, throughout the world. And he's saying, all I'm looking for is a people who say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, use me. And I want to tell you, coming from Leech Lake Reservation, where there has been a historic rejection of the gospel, where there has been a historic rejection of the church, where religion came in rather than the kingdom of God, that God is moving and he is stirring the hearts of people. And I believe in Beeville, Texas, that God is moving and stirring the hearts of people. And he is drawing a people to him. And he will restore. He will revive. He will build and expand his kingdom. And all it takes for us to do is to realize we can't do it. I think I can speak for myself and I think for many others that we've been Peter both nights. Luke chapter 5 and John chapter 21, toiling, sweating, breaking our backs. God, when are you going to move? I have my ideas on what this looks like. I, ha I think it's going to be this. So I'm going to go down this path and I'm going to put all this blood, sweat, and tears into this. And you're going to move, God. And all he's saying is, wait. Just wait. Let me do it. Let me do it. And the way that we wait <laughs> is we sit in the presence of the Father. You know, Pastor mentioned the story of Mary, Mary and Martha when Jesus came to visit at their house. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, it says in that passage. And Martha was, as Pastor said, running around and harried. And Jesus told her, Martha, you're worried about so many things. And here's the thing he says, but Mary has chosen the one necessary thing, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus. So ministers of the gospel, I tell you today, the one necessary thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's not to preach on Sunday morning. It's not to have Bible study. It's not to uh, have praise and worship. It's not to do children's ministry. It's not to cook or clean or all these other things. They're important and they're needed. But the one necessary thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And sitting at the feet of Jesus is where he reveals his heart to you. 
where he can show you who you are and where you can be built up to go out and preach that sermon, to go out and serve those kids, to go out and clean that church, whatever ministry you are called to. When you do that from a place of sitting at the feet of Jesus, it's not work. You're not worried. You're not harried and running around like Martha is. You're not toiling and breaking your back like Peter did. You're able to enjoy life because you know who you are and you know the heart of the Father towards you. And it's an amazing thing. And so I encourage each and every one of you, as pastor before me already did, to carve out time to pray and realize in that time of prayer that you're sitting at Jesus' feet and that that is the one necessary thing is to sit at Jesus' feet, to take that time to do that. And I can tell you, you will be blessed and you will receive strategies and you will understand what the Father is doing in your life, in the lives of your family, in the lives of your church, and he will give you what you need. And I can tell you from my own experience, what that is most often is patience. But he'll give you patience. And he'll also give you courage to speak the words that you need to speak and to do the things that you need to do. But it's so important to carve that time out to do the one necessary thing, and that's to sit at Jesus' feet. And I can tell you that the Father will honor that, and he will bless that when you do it. I want to tell you just a little brief story Earlier this year, I was at a judicial conference, and the conference was on trauma-informed justice systems. And for those of you who don't know, there are a lot of people who interact with the justice system who have experienced trauma at some point in their lives, whether that was abuse or abandonment or neglect or whatever else. And I was at this judicial conference with judges from across the country. And there were maybe about four or five tribal judges that were at this conference who, who uh, judge in tribal court. The rest were state court judges. And there was one exercise at this conference on historic trauma that American Indian people have experienced uh, throughout their time uh, with uh, European contact. And I can tell you from my own experience that that is a very real thing. Uh, historic trauma uh, is a trauma that is experienced by a people group, uh, uh, not only among American Indians, but they also say African Americans due to slavery, and then of course Jewish people due to the Holocaust are the three primary people groups have, who have experienced this historic trauma. And I remember as we were getting ready to do this exercise, I felt, I've lived historic trauma. You know, I, I understand this, I know this, and this will be a really good exercise for everybody else. And we go through this exercise and there are many times when I'm holding back tears, when I've got a lump in my throat and I can't speak. 
And I went back to my room after this exercise, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, what was that? And he said, Lenny, there's still some stuff in you that we need to address. And I said, okay, let's do it. And I want to tell you guys that the enemy works in such a way in our minds that he's sneaky and he's conniving and he can hide a lot of things. And you can be deep in ministry and you can feel like things are going very good and then blam, be hit with something. And I just want to tell you right now that this inner healing that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit and that many people are doing is a very powerful thing. The only thing that we need to do is we need to be willing to confront. And that's a hard thing for many, many people. I read this book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by a pastor from New York. I think his name is Pete Sicarizo or something like that. But he has, in this book, he, he talks about facing your shadow. And I think that's a very appropriate way of putting it, where there's these things in our life that are either ancestral and have been passed down through us or they're experiences that we've had uh, that hinder this intimacy with the Father, that hinder us from being as vulnerable as we need to be with the Father in order to have this intimacy with him. And the amazing thing that I want to tell you all is that if you have the courage to confront those things, the Father is gentle and loving and patient and kind and will work hand in hand with you to address those things so the enemy has no room in your life and you are able to walk in this intimacy with the Father. And so what I want to do now is I just want us to have a time of prayer. And I think we're going to do an altar call. And, but before we do that, I would just like us to just spend a, a few moments entering into that place of intimacy with the Father. And I want, if there's any lie that you're believing that says that you cannot enter into intimacy with the Father because of something you've done, because of who you are, we just break that right now because Jesus is the way maker and Jesus made that way and he accomplished it. The only thing that you have to do is say yes, Lord, and to have a willing heart. And so what I'd like to do is just take just a couple of moments here and just enter into this place of intimacy with the Father. So Father, we just come before you right now, Lord, corporately, as a body of Christ. Father, I just pray that you would pour your heart on this place right now. Mm. That your intimacy, Lord, that you would be one with your people that are gathered here, Lord. The veil is broken. The shroud is gone. There is no more mystery. You are a kind and gentle and loving Father. And you are calling your people closer to you.